Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. Mark Drager is an entrepreneur and the founder of Sales Loop. He used to think the referrals that came to him through his personal network were perhaps not as good as those that he'd got the hard way through marketing. But now he realises that his network is his net worth. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today, Mark. Oh, Liz, thank you for having me. Now, tell us where you are. I mean, I'm recording this at 10am in the UK. It's horribly early, I think, where you are. Yeah, I'm on the East Coast, so I'm just outside of Toronto, Canada, 5am where I am. Yeah, and just so you know, guys, he did have the option to pick later times, but he's an early bird. Is that right? <laughs> well, they say early bird gets the worm, but more than that, I think, uh, I think you know, early to rise. What was it? What's that old saying? Early Something to bed, early to wise. rise, work, work like hell and advertise. I think that's what they say. I think that was it. I think that was it. So, Mark, you're, um, you're, I'm going to describe you as being an entrepreneur and you're a brand strategist, but what's your background? I mean, what did you want to be when you were at school? Oh, man, if you go far enough back, I really wanted to be an architect and an engineer because mm. I grew up in a family of builders. Okay. I grew up uh, where, where they would build houses and, and apartment buildings and condos and developments. And my grandfather was my hero because he could just build anything with his hands. Yeah. You know? And uh, he's 95. He's still alive today. Um, and he's <laughs> even at 95. He's a little slower, but he can still build anything with his hands. And then I got really scared before I went off to uh, college, uh, and so I went to film school instead. Mm. Totally different approach. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I, I disappointed my family. I was kind of a black sheep because I didn't go into the family business. I went to film school, and um, while that was interesting, uh, it wasn't really the career for me. And so I took, I guess, a, the mix of coming from the fa- the building family. Mm. Uh, being wanting to be an architect and build these environments and these really these experiences and play with light and 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 all of these things, and uh, I went into corporate video. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for an internet marketing <laughs> franchise in corporate video, and that's how I got into business. And what kind of projects did you work on back then? Well, you got we. I, I don't know how old our listeners are, but if we go way back, two thousand and four, two thousand five. The internet was a very different place, oh, and yeah, so yeah. there was a lot of uh, of talking head videos, a lot of like, hi team, this is the CEO, and I'm here to talk to you about this new operations we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or there was a lot of training videos. Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot of just communications. And what I didn't realize at the time, which is one of, one of the greatest um, benefits to the year and a half I spent there, was because I was responsible for producing training or communications, I had to understand what the heck these people were talking about. <laughs> and I'm, you know, 22, I'm 21. Uh, I'm, I've am i never been in business. Uh, I haven't taken any business courses. I didn't go to university. And so if we're talking about, um, you know, advanced sales strategies, I, I remember filming this five-day uh, sales course <laughs> that was like this really advanced stuff. But if I was going to shoot it and edit it and produce it and make sure that whoever's viewing this in the future from a training point of view was understanding and retaining the information. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, I better understand what the heck these people yes. are talking about. 
And it was the greatest schooling of my life. Mm. Working for that company, making whatever it was. I think I started at like $30,000 a year. Um, and I was married at the time. We were young. We had our own place. But just that was that year and a half was the greatest schooling because I could make a bunch of mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not very good. I was learning a ton of stuff. And, uh, and it covered everything from... Uh, advanced segmentation of audiences to understanding how people through psychology can be um, can be manipulated mm -hmm. or moved forward through a process to sales training to operations to you know all kinds of, we were in a franchise system so franchise relations and franchise development marketing and I just touched so many areas of business and it was it was the worst and it was the best <laughs> and so do you still do any video work now or have you completely moved away from that well, when I launched my agency in 2006, we were a video production company because that's what I knew. Yeah. And most people who start businesses, uh, especially if it's service-based, you start with what you do. Yeah. You went to law school. Hey, why don't you become a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I went to film school. So when I started my company and I was doing corporate video, I thought, I could just do this for a bunch of people and make more money. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of the plan. And it kind of worked out that way a few years later. But... We were video. We were solely video focused. Uh, certainly, for so the 2006 to 2014, and then after that, we started calling ourselves a video centric agency because mm. we started doing a lot more. We did strategy. We did creative development. We would not only do the video because by that point it wasn't a video. It was like a full television campaign, mm -hmm. or it was radio commercials, or it was producing um, brand films, or it was there were a lot of other assets, a lot of other things we would have to create in these campaigns. And then by 2017, I, I felt so limited being solely focused on video because we were moving in larger and larger markets to larger and larger clients. And they expected more of us. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to work with a specialist where they'd have to have four or five different vendors. They wanted one agency that could do everything. Yeah. And this is another lesson that I learned along the way. Um, you know, bigger isn't always better, mm -hmm. especially if you're not ready for it. Uh, there is this pressure we have as entrepreneurs to grow, 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 grow. Mm -hmm. And growth just adds complexity. Uh, and if, if, if you're not growing by, by going deeper, or simply increasing um, profit margins, but you're growing by adding more and more things to your offering, it just makes things a lot more complex and it lowers your margins and it makes it harder to operate. And that's what we ran into. Mm -hmm. And so I spent kind of 17, 18, 19, 20, right up to the pandemic, trying to do more and more for my clients and, and, and frankly, not doing a very good job at it. <laughs> and two, three, four years of constant mistakes, constantly trying to grow the team. Um, it just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happened when the pandemic hit? Is that when, when things changed for you? Well, the pandemic did two things uh, for us. I, I mean, we're in Canada, so I think it's a lot like you in the UK. We went through some pretty severe lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. And so on March 12th, which was when the last day I was in the office, you know, we had we had 2014 members on my team mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, 3,000 square foot office. And um, I remember being downtown in Toronto at a meeting with our national pension plan and there was like no one on the streets. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this is so weird. Uh, anyway, that was the last day I was in my office and we had 70% of our business the next day go on hold. Yeah. 
and uh, it got really, really hard. And so over the next few months, what was interesting for me, at least as an owner, as, as an entrepreneur, was I found so much freedom in the shutdown. Mm. So all of my clients got put on hold. All of our projects got put on hold. My phone stopped ringing. The email stopped coming in. People, we stopped making mistakes, <laughs> but we also stopped working on projects and everything got put on hold. And when en- when anyone on the team said, what's happening? we It was okay for me to say, I don't know. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I didn't have to have the answers. Yeah. I didn't have to lead. I didn't have to answer the phone. I didn't have to do anything. And looking back, not realizing how burnt out I was, um, I felt so free in, in that time to just work on my projects, do my thing. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it. And then as the world started to open up a few months later, I got my anxiety started to come back. I started to uh, have to speak to more clients. And I and it was in that moment where I was like, okay, something's wrong here. Yeah. Like I just I just don't enjoy this enough to want to like no amount of money is worth living this way. Mm-hmm. And so some of my team members, I had to let some of them go. Some of them uh, moved on and quit because they saw the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I kind of just gave up, honestly. And, um, and so we had, to, we had to shift our business because, uh, I mean, I'm in, I was in my late 30s at the time. I have four kids. I have a wife. Like, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not yet set where it's like, I'm just going to retire. <laughs> and so uh, essentially had to shift my business and had to say, okay, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do marketing. I don't want to do production. I don't want to be the person responsible because what I had built was a company where people would come to us and say, Mark, we have this problem. Mm-hmm. We want to achieve this goal. Let's say it's like, I want more leads. Or um, we need to make sure that a million people get to know us and yeah. move forward onto this page. <laughs> like things like that. And then they would go, what should we do? And in a world where you can say anything and be anyone and do anything and spend almost any amount of money on any platform targeting any group of people, I was the guy responsible for figuring out the best use of the money. Mm. And that was like, I mean, I went to film school. Like, <laughs> like who, <laughs> how, how am I suddenly uh, qualified to do this? But over the years, you know, we've worked on thousands of projects. We've worked with hundreds of companies in 29 industries. We've produced over almost $14 million in creative content for people. You know, we got pretty good at it, but yeah. it was still a lot of pressure. Yeah for me and I was working in in a place I didn't want to be because because I I thought bigger was better mm-hmm. growth 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 and and frankly I just wasn't enjoying it so we changed up the business and we we had to fire some clients we had to let some clients go uh we had to fire some team members we had to let them go we had to shrink I had to be comfortable no longer being a multi-million dollar company and having the team that I had I had to rebuild my identity mm. I had to you know because if I'm not if I'm not that entrepreneur, then what am I? Yeah. And we had to really question, okay, what do we love and what are we best at? And how do we shrink back down from all of the things I thought we had to do to just the one thing that we do better than anything else? And that's what we do today at Sales Loop, our, you know, the, our, our agency that I've had since 2006 under a new name, under a new banner, focusing on the one thing that we do that frankly, the, the reason <laughs> those thousands of projects got made was because of this one thing that we do. And tell me about your one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I set that up nicely for you, didn't you I? You did. <laughs> <laughs> so more, more than anything else, what we help with, when I said earlier, you know, in a world where you can be anyone, 
mm-hmm. and show up anyway and say anything to almost any audience on any platform with any budget, like what should that thing be? And mm-hmm. I was like, that pressure was really getting to me. <laughs> Truthfully, <laughs> that's what we do better than anything else. But rather than help, rather than take the whole ownership for the client, you know, if we're working with an entrepreneur, uh, you know, today our, our focus is B2B businesses of a million dollars or more revenue. Mm-hmm. Seven-figure B2B businesses we work really well with. And typically they have an idea of what they want. They have like a goal. Yeah. And so we are no longer helping them figure out what their goals are. You know, these entrepreneurs, these businesses, sales and marketing teams are coming to us because they 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 have a brand that needs to be refreshed. Yeah. Or um, they, they know that they're not converting. They used to convert on their sales and they're no longer converting. So what we do is we help you figure out what you need to say and who you need to be in order to win over that client. Mm-hmm. So that's brand strategy and that's uh, helping you develop better offers or promotions. So if you're running ad campaigns and they're not converting, how can we fix the offer or the promotion? Or that's copywriting for your sales and marketing assets. And so that's figuring out what should the brand uh, say. Mm-hmm. It's figuring out what your should offer should be and it's figuring out how your copy should be. And it's all tied to the same thing. It's making sure you show up saying the right things to the right people at the right time. Yeah. And are there any particular industry sectors that you tend to work well with or is it really broad? Well, uh, if you're honestly a service-based business, and so that covers a lot of different industries, Mm. but here's the best way for me to explain it. If you're a specialist, Mm -hmm. and so if you are, um, you know, like if you're a, a lawyer or an accountant that's great. There's a lot of lawyers in accounts. Yes. So how are you going to stand out and be different? What yeah. is your practice group? What is your practice area? What is your target audience? How are you different? If you run a SaaS company, which is software as a service, um, you know that's great. But it's really hard to go and acquire clients. It's hard to retain the clients. It's hard to get them to onboard. A lot of times the status quo is really hard to transition huge teams over to new softwares. That's, that's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a service-based business, if you're a specialist, that's where we really, really shine because it's more about the people and the thinking and the process. And those intangibles are really hard for people to be able to articulate and be able to bring in in a way that helps them stand out. Mm. It's not just about saying it. It's about showing up, making people feel a certain thing. Yeah. And if you're an asset-heavy company, let's say you own a lot of buildings. Well, that's cool. But, um, you know, people are going to come to you because you have the properties or you don't. You have the buildings or you don't. Um, if, you're, if you're a logistics company, a trucking fleet, we've worked with a lot of people in logistics. Well, it's cool. You either have the team in the logistics or you don't. It's just I like to work more with people brands where it's more about the specialist or it's about the people or the personality. And that's, mm. that's really where we do our best work. Yeah. And how would you describe what a brand is. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, that's it's a great logo. That's a brand. But it's not, is it? It's much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. <laughs> yeah. You know, the way that I explain it is a brand is just is simply how you intentionally choose to show up. Mm. And so it's, it's what you int- intentionally choose to say, how you intentionally choose to look and how you intentionally choose to make people feel. And those three things we call it, we kind of call the brand stack, which is, you know, like how you know, how am I going to look? That's that's honestly the easiest thing. You can go mm-hmm. to Fiverr. Um, now, if you are in a design industry, the way you look really matters. But for most businesses, especially B2B businesses, you just need to look professional. 
Yeah. You, so you need to look professional. You need to. You need to. That. That. Now I take things to the next level. I want. I want the way you look and feel to. Or sorry, I want the way you look to be an extension of how you want to make people feel. Mm-hmm. And certainly, there's color psychology, and there's spacing, and there's the different quality of photos, and and there's a lot of credibility and authority you can build by making sure you show up looking the right way, so you don't look like some kind of you know, church rummage sale or, or, you know, high school car wash where the people with the homemade signs are on the side of the road, you know. Um, so, so look matters, but you can go to Fiverr. You can hire, a, you can go to Upwork. You can hire a great designer who frankly doesn't know that much about business and you can kind of figure it out for the most part mm-hmm. and you'll get by pretty cost effectively. So how you look to me is, is the lowest on the totem pole. Mm. Now the next step up, which is more important, is what you say. Yeah. And what you say matters because because choosing the right words in the right tone with the right delivery that's totally unique not only matters to to help you stand out but it needs to be said in the way that appeals to your audience. Yeah. You know, you, most of us know if if you're a seven-figure entrepreneur, if you're if you're in business, you know you need to tailor what you say for the audience. Mm-hmm. But you also have to tailor it for the channel that you're speaking on and you have yeah. to tailor it for the moment in the sales cycle they're moving through. Mm. So if you don't know your customer journey of what step they're on and you don't know which platform you're reaching them on or which environment you're reaching them in, that's also what we have to tailor our words for. Yeah. And so so that's the next. And then the last thing, the most important, the hardest to achieve is how you make people feel. Mm-hmm. And how you make people feel, you know, if, if we're going to old school selling techniques, you know, there's mirroring and matching and there's, you know, today people look into NLP and all of this stuff. And that's fantastic. But if, if I land on your website, if I pick, if I phone you up and, and I get an on hold message, uh, if I'm a vendor of yours and, and frankly, people don't realize that vendors can be some of your greatest sources of, re, of, of referrals. Mm. When I'm a vendor of yours and you send me a payment because I've invoiced you, how do you make me feel? Mm-hmm. And I was at Tony Robbins' event in the front row with my friend Evan Carmichael. He had brought me to this. And some people know Evan. Some people don't. He's a YouTuber. He has almost 4 million subscribers. He's really big in the entrepreneurial space. Mm. And he works with Tony's team. So he got invited. <laughs> he asked me if I wanted to go. I was like, sure. Um, and I'm standing beside this, what I later find out is this actor, because we're in this private section, this actor who's on Netflix series and this really great guy. And I'm explaining this to him that like, listen, like every single touch point that you or your team or your organization has with every single person is an extension of your brand. Mm. How you look, what you say, and how you make people feel. And he goes, Mark, you know what? I just... I just realized I have to fire my manager. And I was like, what? I did not mean to tell you that. Like, I'm like, all I said was, all I explained was what a brand is to yeah. me. He's like, I have to fire my manager because this person is representing me and I am uncomfortable with the way that they go about business. Right, yeah. Okay. So now, yeah. now what are we touching? Are we touching corporate values? Are we touching um, culture? Are we touching hiring practice? What are we touching here? Because I was talking about brand. Yeah. Right. Like like how you go out into the world. And now he's saying he has to fire his manager because he realizes deep down inside this person is not representing yep. the brand the way that he wants them yeah. to. And so that's the highest level. So how you look, what you say, and then ultimately how you make people feel. Yeah. So let's have a chat about networking now. Then how have you built the network around your business? Yeah, and <laughs> I think we talked a little bit about this earlier. 
before the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, from from a networking point of view, I always think that I suck at networking <laughs> because because I always thought that networking was and and maybe it is for some people. And I don't do this well. I always thought networking is like you go into a place, you go to a conference, you go to an event, you go to um, a networking event, um, and you go in there and you're like, you know what you want to say. You know, you walk up to random people, you make great connections, you chit chat, you exchange cards. Later, somehow you become best friends or referral partners and you get all this business. (laughs) And I'm the guy who like goes there. And like talk like finds one person who's completely alone and goes <laughs> like, I'm gonna save you from your loneliness. <laughs> and I walk up to them and I say, Hey, I'm Mark. And then I talk to them a bit. And then typically it's like I let them talk about them. I never really talk about myself. Mm-hmm. And then I in my head I'm secretly going like, Oh, this is getting awkwardly long. <laughs> oh no, what should I do? Should I go somewhere else? Should, and I overthink everything. And uh, yeah, that's networking for me. <laughs> but <laughs> is is that is that the secret to this? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, I'm, 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 that that is true. But for me, the most successful part of networking I've realized is um, I always find myself attracted to the people who organize everything. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I've gone to events, um, and I do this at my gym, you know, like I've become friends with the trainers and the owner of the gym every single time. Uh, when I was part of American Marketing Association, Toronto chapter, pretty heavily involved in our local marketing association. Yeah. I became immediately friends with the organizers and the board members, and I would offer to help them, and I would like, I, I would become a sponsor of the, of the organization, and I would volunteer because it was like, it was cool to be at the events, but I was more interested in becoming close with the leaders mm-hmm. than simply the, um, the people who are attending. And I don't know if that's because I'm like cla- classist. Is that a word? Can you be classist? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to hang out with the regular folk. No. Um, I always just went straight to the leadership, and and I would get business from them, and it would be amazing. Even at B and I, you know, I was in B and I for like seven years. I don't think I got any referrals. And people were like, "Why are you the secretary? Why are you the head of education? Why?" Are you going to BNI for seven years and getting no business? And it was like, well, um, you know, I can, I can practice speaking to people. I can practice networking. It's a great group of people. I want to support them. I want to be loyal. But uh, that's been my experience with networking. Yeah. Um, why? Why do you think that it's important to nurture a network? Well, and this is what the pandemic has taught me more than anything else. When I was getting burnt out. And we were doing all of that work. We were working on close to, I think, a little over 200 projects a year. Mm. And so there, there was a lot of projects on the go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had a team of 24. It was, I did not have the operations I needed. I had grown. And, and I've learned since then. I, I, beat, I used to beat myself up for this, but every entrepreneur faces this. There are these growth moments where you realize you need to stop operating as a million-dollar business and start operating as a $2 million business. And mm. I didn't know that. But... Um, I had this huge network of, of people who were my clients and people I knew, uh, but I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I was, sh- I, they were my clients. They were my clients and I needed the revenue to keep the payroll going. And after the pandemic hit and I, I kind of faded out and I stopped, even, even now, like I've kind of disappeared off the map. There are people I haven't spoken to for a few years mm-hmm. that I used to speak to really, really closely. But, but I spoke to them because I was there to help them with business and they were there to hire my company and that was it. And 
after the pandemic hit and I started to get into Clubhouse and I started podcasting, much like you're doing, and I started growing my network, um, I've, I've realized that your network, and this as cheesy as it sounds, people have probably said this a million times on your podcast, right? Your network is your net worth. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that and I didn't respect that because if, if you had brought me um, a lead or a referral, Liz, I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, well, you know, like I, you, you gave me that because you know me and you like me. But if someone found me online completely cold and called me up and hired me, now that is a real client, right? Mm-hmm. Like I deserve that client mm. because I earned it in the hard work of competition. Mm. But if, if you just give me business, you're just giving it to me. And I, I don't think I really earned that. Um, I think you're just doing it because you need some help or you like me or you feel sorry for me. And so like in my mind, I had had these two different levels. Mm. And if you said, Mark, you need to hire this person on your team. They are amazing. I'd be like, uh, I would hold them to a much higher standard than if someone cold came in. Mm. And I realized, well, that's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not serving me. That's totally messed up because, frankly, um, it's not cheating no. <laughs> to leverage your network, no. which is what I felt it was. I felt like it was the easy thing, the low-hanging fruit, and it was yeah. kind of cheating. That's not the case at all. That's literally how business works. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it took me 15 Completely. years to learn this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, have you ever heard anyone admit something so silly? <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one before. <laughs> I do kind of understand where you're coming from. But like like you say, it is it is a messed up way of thinking about it because those referrals that come to you are coming to you because you're good at what you do. <laughs> It just, it felt, it felt too easy. It felt like it was cheating and it felt like, um, and this had more to do with me and my own mindset, but it felt like people were like, maybe like giving me, like throwing me a bone or feel, you know, taking pity on me or something like that. And, um, now I'm just so grateful. Like, I'm just so grateful, uh, for the, the honor that anyone would, I mean, whether it's cold business or warm business, but the fact that anyone would think highly enough of us to refer us, um, you know, over the last few years, I've had to rebuild my confidence as a leader. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I've had to go through the painful kind of contraction and then rebuild. But um, but it's so much better now. Uh, you know, we're we're a better company. We're a better team. I'm a better leader. And my network is is now I don't want to say it's everything, but but it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm still really bad at networking. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not the guy who's going to follow up and and have the CRM or follow the system or or you know if you're in front of me I will give you all the time in the world. If you pop into my mind, I will reach out to you. But uh, man am I inconsistent and do I need an EA to help me with that? <laughs> <laughs> now, a few minutes ago you you mentioned your your podcast. So, tell us what your podcast is, what it's about and and who is it for? Yeah, the Mark Drager show, which, um, listen, uh, (laughs) so up until a few months ago, it was called We Do Hard Things. And then I went to a mastermind group and they were like, you got to call this the Mark Drager show. (laughs) And even that makes me a bit uncomfortable because it it, it makes me feel a bit self-centered. But secretly, I love it. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, it's a show for entrepreneurs, for creatives and for people who are looking for that spark of inspiration. And what we do is we interview some of the world's greatest badasses. So (laughs) yesterday, for example, I got to uh, sit down for an hour 
with uh, a world uh, a world champion triathlete mm-hmm. and the writer and produ- executive producer of All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> a movie that won you know seven BAFTAs yeah, yeah. and uh, four Oscars. And Leslie is Patterson is a Scottish born remarkable woman. Now this is a show for entrepreneurs. But uh, but I got to speak with her. I got to speak with, um, we recently had on a guy called NQ, who's, who's a poet and a rapper mm-hmm. and uh, has made his living writing a, a lot of Grammy award-winning music for Disney and yeah. for, you know, um, like these high school musical type shows. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side of the spectrum, Rand Fishkin, uh, the founder of Moz. Yes. Uh, the guy who built up this company and then kind of got kicked out of it. And he spoke about how growth at all costs isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, we have one of, we have the Simon Duffy, who was the founder of um, Bulldog Skincare for Men, mm. coming on talking about his journey. And so we speak with actors, we speak with artists, we speak with um, comedians. And uh, for me, anyone who's willing to bet on themselves. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's willing to say, like, I am going to go all in on pursuing my passion or live my life my way, and they figure out a way to kind of, like, make a living doing it. They're not, yeah. like, living in a van <laughs> down, <laughs> down by the river. Those are the people who inspire the hell out of me. And so we have them on. We, we connect for about an hour. And most of the time I'm asking them some, some pretty direct, uncomfortable questions. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, they answer them. <laughs> That sounds great. So finally then, Mark, uh, if people want to get in touch with you or want to find your podcast, um, what is the best place for them to do that? Well, if they want to follow up one-on-one with me, head over to Instagram. My handle is at mark.drager. That's D-R-A-G-E-R. If you want to find the Mark Drager Show, you can simply Google it. There's there's no other competition out there <laughs> <laughs> called that. But you can find me on all of your regular uh, audio apps. Uh, if you want to watch it, we're on YouTube as well. And uh, those are the best ways to connect with me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being my guest this morning. Uh, that's been a really interesting conversation. And I must go check out your podcast now, too. <laughs> you must. <laughs> thank you, Liz. Thanks for listening to Small Business Big Network. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.